Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. Arc Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by Arc. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by Arc or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by Arc to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of Arc Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm James Wang. I'm an analyst at Arc Invest. Hello, I'm Yasin. I'm also an analyst at Arc Invest. Uh, welcome to FYI for your innovation podcast, a podcast exclusively focused on disruptive innovation. Today, I will be hosting the podcast with James, my co-analyst who covers Next Generation Internet and was really excited about the recent announcements at the AWS Amazon reInvent conference. Uh, Honestly, for me, covering crypto, the only thing that really sparked my interest was the QLDB database and announcement, which was basically just a hit on all things enterprise blockchains. But beyond that, I, I didn't really get into it. Apparently, there are a lot of implications for the cloud computing space as a whole, and and you know it would be great if you know James can dive into it. So go for it. Yeah, thanks, Yasin. So AWS, you know, every company has their major developer conference once a year. Apple has WWDC, um, Google has theirs, Microsoft has Build, and reInvent is really Amazon's big conference. They don't announce a new iPhone or a new speaker at these events. Every announcement at AWS reInvent is geared really about new features that are available on AWS or Amazon Web Services. One thing that struck out at me, just kind of looking at the breadth of the announcements, is that is just how many verticals now they cover. If you think about Amazon as a consumer service, they call themselves the everything store. You can go on it to buy everything from TVs to diapers to you know sports energy bars, anything you want in your life. Um, and they really conquer that vertical by vertical by vertical. They sell fashion now and diapers, and those are whole companies in the real world. For AWS, they are really the everything store for business and for enterprise computing. So if you think about it in the old world, World. You may have to buy um, a, a computer servers from Dell. You might buy productivity software from Microsoft. You might buy, uh, you know, networking gear from Cisco. And you really build up your business through multiple vendors. And that's what's given us the kind of call it late '90s, 2000s IT landscape with all these various very specialized companies. But we've seen Amazon eat retail, like they've eaten Gap, they've eaten candy stores, they've eaten all kinds of verticals, and they're doing now this in the same way for enterprise. And so, would you say that it was this event that kind of solidified this thesis? Or did you kind of see this coming from the the research that you've done previously? What exactly about this event struck you about this transition from, you know, the consumer stack to the business stack? Yeah, um, they've definitely been doing this for a number of years. I think this view is equally valid a year ago or two years ago, but it really hit me this year as I'm kind of just trying to make sense of their 30 odd plus announcements, everything from kind of on-premise cloud to machine learning to their own silicon. I think perhaps we can, one good example to show how 
Um, they're really going after it in, a, in the, the business kind of workload in a big way. Is there a new announcement called Outposts? And this is their on-premise cloud solution. So what does that mean? Well, Amazon's p- the pioneer for public cloud, which is to say, what is a cloud? A cloud is a bunch of servers that Amazon warehouses in its own data center that you can rent as a service. This is called infrastructure as a service. And Amazon was the first to do this. And they have built a huge business out of this and is the bulk of the revenues for uh, Amazon Web Services. Outposts uh, is a way to... to uh, now, now, having a public cloud is great, but it means that you're offloading your computing to a third party, right? If you're a target... You're no longer manage your own servers and your IT infrastructure and your, your own data centers. You're giving it to Amazon to manage. But for many industries, it makes sense from a regulatory cost or any other reason to have a huge and still a sizable amount of, of call it on-premise or internally operated data centers. In this competition for this cloud market, Microsoft and IBM have been billing themselves as hybrid cloud, which is to say they will provide you the, the, the public stuff, which is the stuff they manage, and they will let you manage your own so that you have control over your own data, you have a cost um, savings on your own stuff. And Amazon's been reluctant to do this because they've always believed the future was public cloud. This is the first major directional change for them. You might call it a concession where they're saying, we will do this hybrid cloud as well, because this is honestly what a lot of customers want. And this is a huge part of the market. This is at least half of this cloud market. That's really interesting. That for me, at least seems kind of counterintuitive where you start with your public cloud thesis and you're like, wait, no, now we're going to concede and start doing things on premise. I, for one, remember I was, I had little exposure in kind of the enterprise software space, but I did VC a little bit in, in Silicon Valley at an enterprise software venture firm. Yep. And and a lot of these hybrid solutions were actually focused primarily on the public cloud aspect of it rather than, okay, these clunky on-premise large data centers. Yep. Uh, so what do you make of that? That it seems like it's, you know, large infrastructure and startup costs and against the whole, you know, scaling model that Amazon has been so effective at. I think a few years ago, um, Amazon genuinely believed that most workloads would move to the public cloud. And you basically, you measure the outcome and you you adapt your strategy accordingly. I think if the migration had been extremely aggressive and every company found a way to move to the public cloud within this time frame, there would be no real need for them to do this. The customers would go to them. The fact that they're doing this now suggests that the world is not that binary and customers actually want this option. And if anything, customer uh, Amazon is adopting their core corporate DNA, which is we're customer focused. You know, remember on their consumer side, they're extremely customer focused. Here, they're basically following that original DNA. They're saying, okay, our enterprise customers want on-premise. We will give them that. So the Outposts product they announced, Amazon will literally sell you the same servers that they use in their own data centers to you, whether you're Target or Bank of America or whoever, they will even install it for you. They will do everything you need to install an Amazon data center effectively in your own building. So now they're offering the last major piece that supposedly was something that only Microsoft or maybe an IBM could offer. So how does this differ from existing hybrid cloud solutions? 
This is using VMware, which is the primary partner that okay. they're they're providing. VMware has been traditionally the, the software provider that's made your local cloud possible, and Amazon has built a, a kind of a, a very useful partnership in bringing that over. Microsoft is using Azure Stack, which is their own solution, their own virtualization system. But really, this is if you're a company today that's on AWS public, and you wanted a private on-premise solution, now there's an easy way to do that. You do not have to migrate to a Microsoft or an IBM. So how long was the transition from, okay, on-premise to public cloud back now to hybrid? And it seems like why, why now for Amazon, right? Do you think it's just because of demand where like, you know, customers are demanding that they want these on-premise solutions or is it, you know, we're just trying to get, have what everyone else has? Where do you exactly see this move playing out in the next five years, for instance, for Amazon? Amazon is a very pragmatic company. Right. So I would say that they are interested in growth and they're interested in capturing the customer. So insofar as they were not able, they, they saw that customers uh, did not do all of their work with them. They wanted, I think they're pragmatically trying to fit to the customer. Um, one view is this is a bit of a concession and perhaps it is a sign that the public cloud growth is kind of reaching kind of maturity and at least, you know, slower growth phase. So one could read it that way. But I think this is definitely Amazon following their more customer-centric approach. Outpost was one of the major announcements. They're also doing other work around their in-housing their own chip, or there's also SageMaker. Can you talk a little bit about either one? Sure. One of the major announcements that came out was that Amazon was developing their own server chips. And this is a big deal. The chip is an ARM-based processor, 64-bit ARM processor. Uh, it is called Graviton. And this is uh, based on one of the companies they acquired in 2015 that's been building kind of network and storage-based chips for them. Before you go on, can you explain what ARM-based processors are and how they differentiate from existing chips? Sure. So today, the data center, you know, the, which is you know, the cloud, the, the, the stuff that powers the cloud, is almost all powered by Intel processors, Intel Xeon processors. This is why Intel is, continues to be such a successful company with large revenue, and uh, even in the era where they don't power any smartphones. The current wave of the internet is two parts. It's mobile and cloud. Intel lost mobile completely to ARM, which is a, a British IP company that provides the designs for microprocessors, but Intel captured the complete share for cloud, which is these giant servers that run 24-7, powering Facebook, Google, and so on. Today, that is Intel's most lucrative business. Each of these Xeon CPUs are thousands of dollars, and there are no viable alternatives. The incentive for a data center or a cloud provider like Amazon is to have a lower cost version of these things because it costs a tremendous amount when you are paying Intel and they have monopoly share. Intel basically sets the price and you have no room to maneuver. So what we see across a number of businesses is if you own the customer relationship and you have scale, then you can vertically integrate and take out, instead of buying components from third parties, design your own components. Now, what are some examples of this? The most notable example is Apple. Apple owns the customer relationship, you know, upward to, you know, maybe a billion customers worldwide. Computer makers never make their own chips, right? When you buy a Dell computer, you don't buy a Dell chip. You buy a Dell computer with an Intel chip, right? That's the old model, the 90s model. Right very, very modularized supply chain. In the new model where you have much greater scale and there's a importance to the data you're processing, 
it makes sense, it has become possible to make sense for the uh, computer maker to make their own chips. Apple did this around one of the iPhone 5-ish generation where they built their own first processor that's in the iPhone. They designed it using ARM's IP and they designed a new chip every year. And in a number of years, they quickly overtook the existing processors in performance, like from Samsung and Qualcomm. And they've made the iPhone the fastest phone. And that's been a huge differentiator. We are seeing this with Tesla. They own the direct relationship with the customer. It is extremely, they know exactly what algorithms they need to run for their computer vision processors. And video chips are expensive, so they designed their own chip. It makes the most amount of sense from, from all these examples for Amazon to do their own chip because they are literally the number one supplier of cloud computing for the whole world. They have 60% share of the public cloud market. So if anybody has buys a lot of chips for a lot of money and they know exactly what they need to build, it's Amazon. And they're building their own chip now called the Graviton based on the ARM processor, based on the ARM design, which is now owned by SoftBank. Interesting. So can you talk a little bit more about the AWS chip specifically? Yeah, the chip is a is an eight core design. It's designed for scale out workloads. So this this means the kind of workloads that run on many many instances of these servers. The way these disruptions work, we've seen it over and over again, is that you build a chip that is good enough for some workloads. This is not going to be competitive against a six thousand dollar Intel chip, right? All they have to do is be, is to be good enough for some workloads. Take five percent share next year. Take ten percent share, and then eventually they're able to basically insource a lot of this processing themselves. Um, the losing end is, of course, Intel. They all of a sudden uh, do not have the same pricing power, and they just start losing unit share from the low end. I think the general trend is, if you think about it in the, in the 90s, Dell, Gateway, IBM, none of them were large enough to say, we will design our own chip and we'll compete against Intel. Because the developers do not run, the developers do not target Dell or HP or IBM. Right? But because AWS is a compute platform, AWS is the operating system in effect for developers. So they get to dictate the development platform. And just like Apple gets to dictate the development platform with iOS, they can swap out components under the hood and it can be relatively invisible, be invisible to the developers. So Amazon has, a, has way more power today over the component suppliers than a Dell or an HP or an IBM in their heydays had against their component suppliers. So I want you to talk a little bit more about that, about their competitive advantage, given that they've now announced this. So you kind of mentioned briefly the whole vertical integration of an Apple, of a Tesla, and you see kind of how they've been able to create huge competitive advantage as a result. But obviously, it's not something that you know any company can do. Why, one, do you think Amazon is, is equipped to do that? And how does it exactly affect the chip dynamics that we're seeing today? And do you see this as you know, a strategy that will ultimately contribute to this idea of being a full-on business stack suite? Yeah, I mean, their advantage is they know precisely the workloads that their customers are running. Right. Amazon doesn't just offer the, the the bare metal, so to speak, the servers. You can rent them just by, by the server. You can rent entire VMs. You can rent single API calls. So Amazon knows exactly how many databases are running on its system, which instance of the database it's running. Amazon knows if, if it's running a bunch of you know caching workloads. So to, to get high performance out of a processor, you're basically profiling workloads and optimizing the instruction set 
of those workloads for your processor. The advantage for Amazon is it knows exactly the nature of the workloads and the chip it builds is almost like ASIC-like efficiency against those workloads. Um, whereas if you're a third-party provider, like for example, Qualcomm tried to build an ARM server chip and uh, it was by all like uh, reports, it was a decent design, but it's very hard for them because they don't know anything about the customer because they don't they don't own the customer. No customer is working, is sending their workloads to them to compute. So they can only just guess at what is the what the processor should do. Amazon is not guessing. Amazon is profiling billions upon billions of computations every second. And this is targeted very specifically at that. So I think everywhere we see on the internet, whether it's a consumer side or public, whoever owns the consumer knows exactly what's going on. And from that profile or data or information, however you want to kind of think through it, they're able to gain an unfair advantage over a mere component supplier who is divorced from access to that data. You talked about them being the everything store for, for business. What else exactly does that entail? Yeah, the everything store for consumer is very easy. I think over the years, we've viewed our own habits and how they've changed when we shop on Amazon. We used to only go to them for books. Then it became DVDs. Then it became DVD you know, players, Xbox. Um, and now it's everything from candy bar to fresh delivery from Whole Foods. They've conquered vertical after vertical, and they've, in effect, expanded their TAM to cover all of retail. For business, they started as providing basically bare computing resources. Essentially, hey, don't buy servers, rent our servers. That was the kind of genesis in 2006. And now they've conquered huge amounts of these enterprise verticals. Like enterprise software is not this one thing. It is many, many things, right? For example, there's a whole vertical for cybersecurity and there's like 50 companies dedicated to that. Amazon has a whole suite of products on AWS for cybersecurity. Databases is one of the most largest, well-known, oldest and profitable verticals for, for businesses. And today people still spend billions upon billions of dollars with Oracle and IBM to buy their database products. And Amazon came, comes out with uh, Aurora, which is their database product, which is five times faster than the open source version and a tenth the cost of the commercial versions. They've conquered that vertical. And then the latest craze, of course, is machine learning. And Amazon has basically built its own product suite called SageMaker, which will help enterprises kind of label their data sets, build their models, train their models, and deploy their models. The whole workflow, which is extremely complicated, and maybe only a dozen companies know kind of a back, to, back to front, Amazon now provides that as a service to any enterprise. So, you know, I often get questions like, what's the competitive dynamic like between Amazon and maybe Red Hat plus IBM or Amazon and MongoDB or a box? These are questions that are not even fair. They're asking like, what is the, the dynamic between a single player in a vertical like storage or database versus Amazon, which is everything. Amazon will serve the whole enterprise software stack. So, once you get on the platform, it becomes very sticky. If you're on AWS already and you need you have the, your database services with them and you need a machine learning, the most natural thing to do is just to turn on SageMaker and use their machine learning service. Just like if you bought some books on Amazon, the most logical thing for you to do if you need to buy some candy bars is to just, just go on Amazon. You don't shop around and find another service. So if they have a chance of eating a large portion of the retail TAM with Amazon.com, AWS is basically the same dynamic applied to the whole enterprise software TAM. So, I mean, it sounds to me then, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, like just Amazon is just some sort of black hole 
<laughs> where you have these businesses that are yes. just getting sucked in. So yes. what is it, where does that leave competitors? The competitors traditional response has been, hey, we'll do hybrid cloud for you. We'll let you manage your own data centers. We'll let you have your own control. Amazon won't let you do that. With the Outpost announcement and the collaboration with VMware, Amazon's basically shut down that opportunity. That last reason to go to Azure, to go to Google Cloud is, is kind of gone. And Google Cloud's other advantage, of course, was machine learning. And Google's built very, very good tools for ML. But Amazon SageMaker is their version to that. So Amazon is basically... Um, it reminds me of the Roman Empire. They're basically conquering every region step by step until there's almost no um, effective opportunity left for, for everyone else. I mean, that's really interesting. So one, one of my friends actually works at Amazon and he just kind of told me because there was a recent announcement also around them providing blockchain solutions and they recently come, came out with like a, something called the Quantum Ledger Database or the QLDB. And his kind of idea of in general, his takeaway from kind of the strategy for AWS was you you take an open source product that has traction, you productize it, and then you just drive out the original creators and the promoters of that business, or at least make them less relevant. And so I just find that to be kind of interesting because it seems that, that that's at every layer of the stack. With regard to the QLDB announcement, it was kind of really interesting because it's basically a fully managed ledger database that provides a transparent, immutable and cryptographically verifiable transaction log. What? Sounds like a blockchain, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's, is it a blockchain? The only difference is that it's now owned by a central trusted authority. And so the takeaway from that is that it basically seems like a far more efficient solution for enterprises who want the whole immutability aspect of the databases. So we obviously have this constant back and forth of, okay, private versus permission blockchains private blockchains really just being, shout out to Noriel Rubini, glorified databases, which he's, he's right about, right? It's like these, these blockchains are, at the end of the day, just data structures. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to you know, help your top line or improve your efficiencies or your operations in a manner that allows you to track these databases, but that doesn't necessarily need to be public, that doesn't necessarily need to be verified at every node, this is something that a QLDB would solve that a private blockchain actually makes far more efficient, right? The fact that you don't now need to replicate the data at every node is something that people realize is actually a way more inefficient process than existing services. So in that regard, it seems to me that, you know, even in, in this, Amazon is tackling a space where they could literally deem all enterprise private blockchain solutions irrelevant. So I just found that to, to be quite interesting as a, as a parallel. It seems like um, private blockchains are, are just another vertical. It's a it's a business software solution. It's a right. variant of a, a database solution. Right, exactly. And, and that's all it should it's be. It's early right? enough. And, and Amazon's like, well, mm -hmm. it seems like some companies want to do that. We'll supply that too. It's it's another vertical that they offer. Yep. No, I mean, that's fascinating. Well, so are there any other announcements that you found to be particularly captivating that you want to end up on? I think we've covered good ground. Honestly, there are too many to cover. There, there are just endless press releases for this whole week that's come out. Amazon's also announced their own chip for artificial intelligence inference. This is their second. I mean, they basically went from almost no silicon to two new processors that they've designed in-house. They announced a huge amount of upgrades to just about everywhere for their software stack. But I think we don't have to go through it all. The main takeaway, I think, if you're kind of observing Amazon as mostly a retail company with this AWS tack on is 
if you have a mindset for kind of the everything store for consumer, I think that mindset applied to enterprise works the same. I think with Moore's Law slowing down, we're going to see more companies bring processor design in-house, especially they're at, if they're at scale and they own the customer relationship. It makes more sense for Amazon to do this than anyone else. And it's honestly a little surprising. It's taken this long for them to, to go full in-house for silicon, but now they've done it. I think every year from now, we can expect annual upgrades to their processors. And the, the silicon story from AWS is going to be much bigger now going forward than, than it's been in the past. Great. Well, thanks, James. Really nice chatting and looking forward to our next discussion on four-year innovation. Awesome. Thank you. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results.